Hello, hello, listeners. It's Kyla. I'm here to tell you about Code Whack, a podcast that shines a light on the callous American healthcare system and what can be done about it. It reveals the healthcare hassles that threaten peace of mind, financial security, and at times, patients' very lives. Hosted by Brenda Gazar, you'll hear interviews with the sharpest minds in healthcare advocacy. Listen to Code Whack wherever you get your podcasts or by going to codewack.libsyn.com. There's more similarities between my living situation and the living situation in a prison institution. Introducing Invisible Institutions, a new podcast investigating the unreported and invisibilized horrors of the institutional system. It was like a prison, and I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it was. Coming February 2022. Welcome to Pullback, the podcast that digs into the ethics behind everyday choices. I'm Kyla Hewson. I'm here with Kristen Pugh. Hello. And today we are re-releasing one of our pod favorites, one of our favorite episodes, our Zero Waste episode, which we did fairly early on, but I think holds up. I actually haven't listened to it recently. Kristen, have you? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I remember it being a fun episode. It was one of those where... We spent a lot of the time talking about our actual experiences during the challenge, which was to go waste-free, back when we actually did challenges for this podcast. (laughs) Uh, So I think it's a really fun listen. Yeah, and also, I think zero waste is such a challenging idea for people. And we talk about, I think we talk about waste audits in this episode, and I think that's a really valuable tool for people to have. But also, it's just kind of fun to get to know me and Kristen and uh, and our journey. Yeah, and as I remember, Kyla was super not into this challenge. <laughs> <laughs> you were very cranky about it, I remember. I don't remember, but I'm sure that sounds true. <laughs> I think it was right after we had done the Veganuary challenge, and so you were, I think, a little bit burnt out with the whole challenges thing. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's hard to exist in modern society in an ethical way. And that was right when I was starting to fully appreciate exactly how difficult it is to do. So I I am a little bit more forgiving on myself now, but I'm also, like, better than I was back then. So without further ado, everyone enjoy this throwback. This episode is all about waste free. Woohoo! <laughs> I hated the challenge. I hated it so much, Kristen. <laughs> yeah, it was really hard. I I feel like when we did Veganuary, I had a couple of failures, but it was nothing like I failed multiple times a day every day with this one. And I was really trying my best. Yeah, you did you actually you you went to see a movie recently and you were like, should I bring a bag to like put popcorn <laughs> in at the popcorn stand? And I was like, yes, please. Did you do that? So I did. Um, <laughs> so I was trying to decide whether to bring like one of those silicon bags that I have for stuff or to just bring a paper bag that I had used to buy a bun when I forgot a mesh bag. And so I was like, I can't can't compost this until I've used it again. So I'll bring it for popcorn. Uh, so I decided to go with that one. Uh, and then I showed up and they had compostable bags and a friend wanted to share. And I was like, well, 
Okay, so I just took it with me and put it in the compost. <laughs> okay, okay. But yeah, it was definitely that person. And as we were ordering, uh, I think I've this this podcast is really it's really stressful for my friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, when we were ordering, I was, the person was like, "Do you want butter or no?" And my friend just looked at me and was like, "Well, I think you have more restrictions, so why don't you decide?" <laughs> Not wrong. Yeah. I mean, okay, I guess we didn't really explain, but it kind of goes with the title of the episode. Our challenge was to be waste-free for what it's been like two weeks, right? Yeah, something like that. I I feel like I used up all of my willpower in Veganuary, and then we immediately started this waste-free challenge, and I just had <laughs> nothing left. I was like, I can't. I was less waste-free than I normally am. Like I went the off I was like, I don't know, like my brain just revolted and I wasted more in the last two weeks than I think I normally do like I, anyways maybe we'll talk about that later uh we can start with uh your fun research if you want well no before we get started I just want to like maybe if we could just explain what were the things that tripped us up the most you know I think that might be helpful as we start to go do we need to like clarify what waste free is or... oh yeah should we explain that first maybe we should explain that first <laughs> Tell me, Kristen, because All I would right, like to fine. know that I, did, I don't understand it and I was doing it wrong <laughs> the whole time. God, I don't know what I was thinking when I was writing the research, but I didn't actually explain what waste-free is until like halfway through the research. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's in the name, right? <laughs> yeah. So I'll just explain quickly what it is. So in its simplest expression, the waste-free or zero waste movement just aims to produce zero trash. So the idea is you throw nothing out. Although in reality, even like the most successful waste-free advocates and like practitioners, they don't produce zero waste. And they also recognize that even if you're not yourself throwing out trash, you're still necessarily going to be complicit in some trash. So even though the label is zero waste, like that's the, the goal right now, probably getting to like 99% zero waste is is like as close as you can get. That still seems impossible because like, unless you're picking your own fruit out of a, an orchard, like it, when you go to the supermarket and buy stuff, even if it's not in a bag, it had to be transported there in stuff that was probably thrown away boxes or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So that's, they recognize that you can't, you can't get all the way there, but that there's value in trying, right? So we can talk about how you actually do waste-free, but I guess First, we'll sort of we'll sort of go over what our challenge meant, right? Like, what what does it mean to actually go without trash for? I guess for us, it was only two weeks. Although I've been making a slow move towards waste free for a couple of years now, so I had already knocked off the like really easy stuff. But I was still surprised to to note like how much I was really throwing away. I kept a log, and it was it was basically like four things a day or so. And that's not including toilet paper because there's, there was no way in two weeks I was going to come up with a system of getting rid of toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to talk about toilet paper later on because I also have <laughs> some comments on that. <laughs> so what were the things for you that were most common garbage items during this challenge? Um, well, I think what makes this challenge especially difficult is that like, like you, Kristen, I have also been moving towards waste-free for the last couple of years. And so I feel like I might have like 
peaked. You know what I mean? And so like doing this <laughs> challenge means that I have to be even more waste free than I already am. And I'm already that person that always carries a like a, a tote bag inside my purse. So I never mm-hmm. take bags. I I get reusable cups. I always have like a tumbler with me for when I get like tea or or, or a drink or something. I mean, not always. I'm a flawed human being, but so like the the easy things I was I was already doing, and so mm-hmm. I had to like step it up to do the waste free challenge for this episode. And it was just, yeah, my biggest challenge I think is just groceries. Mm-hmm. There is a waste free yeah. shop like near my work, but to get to it adds a little bit of time to my commute. My commute is already pretty close to an hour and I am not like a driver. I take public transport. So, Mm -hmm. and as somebody who's working like two jobs, plus the podcast takes up a lot of spare time, as you know, it's hard to like justify, (laughs) like when there's a grocery store, literally a three minute walk from my house, it's, it's hard to justify going out of my way to go to the waste-free shop. In the last two weeks, I went there one time and I didn't think to bring any, uh, bottles or jars or anything with me. So I walked in and I was like, cool, I have no way to carry any of this. And then like walked <laughs> out because they would like, they do sell stuff, but it's really expensive. And yeah, it's hard because I, I keep all of my jars. So I have like a whole cupboard full of jars. So it's hard to justify spend, spending like $10 to buy a jar at the waste free shop when I just didn't like, yeah, I have jars at home. So the jars in your waste free shop are $10. I no okay. I don't want to like call them out. I, I'm just making it up. It could be maybe less, <laughs> but like waste free stores. We'll talk about this a little bit more later. But they're they're like notoriously on the bougie side. Yes, but the one in my neighborhood charges like two dollars for a jar. <laughs> okay, maybe mine, but mine is also really small. Like it's more like it's it's less like a grocery store and more like a. It's just it, yeah. It's just it's not it's not very big. It's very it's it's it's. Yeah, very bougie, you know, like, yeah, it, it's cool. Like, there's a lot of cool waste free stuff you can get there, uh, including, including toilet paper towels. And I was like, I don't think I'll ever be ready for that. Maybe, but not. I don't know, man. Yeah. Even like, uh, so one of the things I did in preparation for this podcast was I read uh, 101 Ways to Go Zero Waste, which is it's a book by Catherine Kellogg. She's one of the like, top, probably of a group of five top waste-free advocates in the world. And even she is like, look, look, mate, I got a bidet attachment for my toilet and that reduces the toilet paper I use, but <laughs> going to produce some toilet paper. It's just, it's just a thing. Yeah. Toilet paper. So you can get like reusable, like towelettes, I guess, but oh boy. So much laundry uh, though. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I would be interested to talk to a parent who has used like reusable diapers because I don't know if I ever had a kid. I don't know if I would be ready for that either. But well, a lot of the times, um, I'm not sure if they do this in like major cities today. But my parents used cloth diapers when I was a child, and they had like a service that would would wash them. You just put it in a bin, and like every week they industrially wash it. Oh, okay. So if there were systems like that, it would be way easier to switch to reusable toilet paper. And to be frank, the idea of 
like using a bidet makes way more sense to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mentioned that to me via text. And I told you that my brother has like, he got a bidet, a, what, a couple of years ago? He says it, he says it changed his life. Like it, <laughs> every time I talk to him about his bidet, it's just like, he's in love. So I mean, I, okay, as somebody who I've used a bidet a couple of times, and I honestly, I hate them. I don't like them very much. It just makes my bottom <laughs> feel wet, which is like the opposite of what I want. But maybe I'm using them wrong. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I think when I move to Ottawa, I'm going to get a bidet attachment and just see what it feels like. Cool. So they're, they're not that expensive, but for for this challenge, that was not one of my goals. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear your feedback on bidets. Maybe maybe if you, maybe you'll convince me in ways that my brother has not. <laughs> but like, uh, what did you find challenging? Like you, I think tr you were trying way harder than I was. Uh, I just, I just failed every day and then felt bad about it. That's how my challenge went, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the self-blame thing. I, I want to read a quote from one of the other book that I read for this episode. It's called How to Give Up Plastic. And it's by Will McCallum. He's uh, the like, he's the head of Greenpeace UK's plastics movement. And... <sighs> I, hopefully this will make you feel better. I hope so too. <laughs> yeah. So he says, Although it's clear that there's so much people can do as individuals to make a change, it's also clear that producers of plastic packaging are making far too much of it with no plan for what to do after it is used once. Politicians simply aren't going far enough in making producers take responsibility. It is not your fault if your local recycling scheme is not equipped to deal with the volume or type of plastic found in your local supermarket. And so to place the full responsibility on individuals to deal with it cannot be fair. So that's sort of like the other side of waste-free, um, or in this case, his book's more about plastic-free specifically. But it's we're in this society that is really structured around throw away plastic and throw away paper, but mostly plastic, to be really honest. And until those sort of systemic changes are in place, being waste-free is really hard. So maybe this is like a good place to actually go into the research, because that's kind of where I started to, to look into things. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I appreciate that quote too, which is something that I, I am aware of. I did a Plastic Free July challenge, what, uh, two years ago now? It's what pushed me to become more waste-free to begin with. So that month of plastic-free was absolutely eye-opening for me at the time. And so, yeah, I mean, I do know two years on that, like, eh, it's not really my fault, but it's like a two-week challenge and it's for this podcast, which I care about. And I wanted to do a good job and I changed nothing and I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just hard, you know, like I pinpointed sort of two areas where where I was wasting the most during this challenge, even when I was really trying. And the first one was when you just get unnecessary packaging. So whether that's like, I needed to buy a cucumber because I was out of cucumber and I needed it for a recipe. And cucumbers always come wrapped in plastic. Why? Usually like I found grocery stores that don't. And usually when I'm going for a proper shop, I'll just go to those grocery stores and I just try to find things with less packaging. And I know they have cucumbers that aren't wrapped, but it was like 10 p.m. I wanted to go to the Value Mart that was across the street from my house. And they had, I could either get mini cucumbers wrapped in styrofoam and plastic or like a single cucumber wrapped in plastic. And there were no other options. And it just made me so angry. 
you know? <laughs> You're trying so hard. Why? Yeah. Well, I remember that when I was doing my Plastic Free July a couple years ago. It was like, I just went hungry for a month, basically. It was like, oh, cool. Yeah, I, it's hard. If it doesn't come in a can or unwrapped, I can't eat it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And it's so like it was grocery stores that were one of the biggest culprits for this. And then it was sort of like fast, casual, or even sometimes like nicer restaurants that would just give you like, sometimes you'd get straws unsolicited. Sometimes they wouldn't, they wouldn't honor your request to have things for here. Oh, I hate, it's like, I see that you have mugs right there. Why did you put it in a plastic to go cup? Yes. I've, I mean, this has been like a thing I've been really frustrated with for a while. So I've, I've learned, I've learned that if you're sort of like very clear at the start, most of the time they will honor those requests. Usually it's fine. You just have to be sort of polite about it. And, and firm as well, you know, treat it like it's the most normal thing in the world, because ideally you want it to be the most normal thing in the world. And people are pretty good about accommodating those requests for the most part. If you carry your own to-go cup, that makes a big difference too, so, which I try to do. Yeah, it eliminates that entirely for sure. Yeah, so it was unnecessary packaging. And also the second source of garbage that I found myself producing was Mindless Habits. So there were about four or five days uh, in a row where I accidentally grabbed paper towel after I'd washed my hands. And I was like, (laughs) darn it, (laughs) because I didn't want to, but I hadn't even thought about it. It was just sort of on autopilot. So that was sort of the second category for me. I did find uh, the challenge was very exciting for me, though, because we I mean, we sort of planned it this way. We were going to do a different challenge, a different episode. But then the waste-free store finally opened up in my neighborhood, and I really wanted to do the challenge. At the <laughs> oh, is that why we changed our <laughs> schedule? I see yeah, how it is. I was like, I'm so excited. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was a big motivator. Unlike yours, which was sort of demotivating, I got to be excited about something new during this challenge. So that was kind of nice. All right. Do you want to get into the research? Yes, please. All right. So we already discussed what waste-free is in a very basic sense. Uh, But it's important to note that waste-free is actually, it's sort of a reaction to a change in society that we've seen in the last 50 or so years. So waste-free really wouldn't have made sense as a movement prior to 1950 or so. Um, And that's because since the 1950s, we've seen the rise of something that's sometimes called the disposable society or the throwaway society or the throwaway culture. Have you ever heard any of those terms before, Kyla? Um, I don't know if I've heard the term specifically, but I do know that we've become a throwaway culture. So it feels like <laughs> yeah. I have heard that, but maybe I haven't. It just seems so obvious. What, like 50 years ago, you used to, they used to refill the Coca-Cola bottles that you, that you yes. drank out of. Like, can, can, can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we've actually seen this really massive revolution in our society towards disposables and and also sort of like low quality or short-lived items, right? So the disposable society or throwaway society describes the overconsumption of those short-lived or disposable items instead of durable goods and goods that can be repaired, right? So the first bit of that is short-lived or low quality items. So we, we had our clothing episode and we talked about how shitty clothing is today. You know, it's not meant to be worn for a very long time. And so that sort of a really good example of the low quality of items that we have today. But you can also look at things like 
planned obsolescence in your electronics and how much e-waste is growing. And also things like, I mean, even like Ikea furniture, right? This is something I'm really confronting as I move. Like this furniture is not built to be good quality. And it's not very easy to take apart and put back together. Because once you've sort of put it together, like oftentimes the like particle board will not deal very well with taking the pins in and out or whatever. It's just, a, it's not a very good system. So making things that don't last very long is a really viable business strategy from like a money-making perspective because consumers then need to buy replacements. And the only reason it's really profitable is because businesses aren't held responsible for the end life of a product. Uh, they don't have to worry about what happens when you're done using the product. So it's cheaper for them to produce shitty stuff that you don't use for very long. And for you, because, you know, for the most part, trash pickup is free. It, it's also cheaper in some ways too, right? So yeah, um, disposables are actually a pretty new invention. As we've talked about, uh, they were really first introduced in the 1950s. And at the time, they were touted as a time saver for, for housewives specifically, right? It's this idea that housewives are spending almost all of their time doing household chores and things like that. And so as you started to see the consumer era in the 50s, it's actually a bit of a boon for feminism because now these household tasks take less time and, and women have more, more time to spend on other things. So it is kind of a complicated history. And it's also the disposable society wouldn't have been possible without the introduction of plastic into the mainstream market. And so it's even though waste-free isn't just about plastics, and we're going to do plastic-free July, and that'll be a different episode, we've got to talk about plastics a little bit because they are kind of like, they're most of the garbage we produce, <laughs> uh, frankly. So here's just some stats that I thought were interesting. So it's actually only been 113 years since the first plastic was introduced, and it has only been 55 years since the first plastic bag was created. Wow. If you think about how ubiquitous those are, yeah, it's only like people are still alive that were around far longer than the first plastic bag was introduced, you know? I, I don't know. It just It seems so wild to me because they've been so ubiquitous uh, since I've been alive. Another thing, we've produced over 320 million metric tons of plastic which is heavier than every human alive combined. Oh, cool. That's a fun fact. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I appreciate it when, uh, when someone gives me a number and then they compare it to something. It's gonna, I'm like, oh, 321 million, whatever. I don't know what that... But heavier than every human alive, that's something I can picture. Yeah. And if you were like, well, hey, there's a lot more humans going to be coming in the future, so maybe we'll outweigh the plastic. No, because it's also set to double by 2040. So... <laughs> Jokes, oh. we're all eating plastic and plastic is everywhere and we're breathing plastic. It sucks. So here's another sad statistic. <laughs> Great. You said there was only one when I asked you at the beginning of this episode. Oh, there's only one that's like really personally sad. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. But yeah. the rest of them are medium sad. That one's sad. coming. Um, yeah, these <laughs> ones are just kind of like abstractly sad. Okay. Um, and anxiety producing. I think since I started researching for this episode... I've really become hyper aware of how much plastic there is everywhere. And I think I'm starting to develop a phobia. <laughs> uh, yeah. So only 14% of plastic that is in existence has ever been collected for recycling. 
And as we know, a lot of that doesn't actually get recycled. So only 5% of plastic basically has ever been recycled. The other 95% is still out there and it is going to exist for hundreds of years. And that's just what we've been able to produce in 113 years. So like... <laughs> yeah. And that first plastic, it's still there somewhere, you know, doing, doing whatever. Uh, so yeah, plastic is so essential to how we live our lives that it's, it's really gotten out of control. And uh, it's not just plastic. It's, it's, all, it's all waste, right? So globally, we generate about 3.5 million tons of solid waste every day. And that is about 10 times the amount that we produced a century ago. Every day? Yeah. Um, I found a stat for Americans. I can't imagine it's that much different for Canadians. So the average American produces 1,500 pounds of trash annually. They estimate that the average American sends 4.4 pounds of trash to the landfill every day. Well, I know I'm not throwing away that much, but I know other Me people... Me too. But, but again, I'm a single person living alone and I don't have kids. I think as soon as you have like kids or pets, like... It just is naturally going to be more, right? That's true. But we've also been trying really hard. I think that's something to emphasize, right? I mean, I think it's just a, a way to emphasize that if you try, it's really easy to cut a lot of the stuff out, right? Even just getting a reusable coffee cup is going to reduce that a lot. I have a single trash bag that I put all of my trash into, including when I get it when I'm out somewhere. And I think I throw it out like once a month. And I haven't even gone through like the hard stuff yet. This is just like taking the easy wins and then some of the medium wins. So like it's really, it shouldn't overwhelm people to think that when you see those stats, that shouldn't overwhelm you. That should inspire you because it actually isn't hard to make big reductions and that makes a huge impact. That's true. I guess, uh, I've, I don't know, I've mentioned kids a couple times this episode. I think I've just been feeling really time poor lately. And I just keep thinking like, God, how do people with children do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably don't have as many jobs as you have. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like trying to, well, because you and I have uh, very similar um, socioeconomic situations right now. And so I'm just, I'm just like trying to consider other people. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 I like, I should not cut them so much slack. You guys can be waste-free too. <laughs> yeah. Or like, at least just try some of it. Probably, like, it's, it is legitimately really hard to try to become one of those people that produces a mason jar of trash every six years. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's hard. <laughs> but keeping a reusable coffee cup with you is like super easy. So... The other, the other stat that I think is, is kind of important to contextualize as well is that landfills are responsible for 16% of the methane emissions that exist. Um, and methane is a super potent greenhouse gas. And the reason that landfills produce so much methane is actually because we're not composting. It's because a lot of what we throw in the trash is actually stuff that doesn't need to be in the trash. It's organic material like food waste, if you get like a pizza box that's greasy, that can be composted. It can't be recycled, but it can be composted. And if we were able to just make this simple step of diverting that from the landfills, we could make a huge difference. So yeah, single-use plastic, it's obviously also a big part of the problem. I found a stat that Coca-Cola produces 120 billion plastic bottles every year. That's fucking wild. That's 
I, 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 oh, I, I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> I don't think I've had a Coca-Cola out of a plastic bottle in a, like several years. I've just been like silently protesting the Coca-Cola bottles, but Coca-Cola is also something that I love, even though it's evil. It's one of my worst guilty pleasures. So I will occasionally have a can of Coca-Cola, but often I'm drinking it out of a fountain, like fountain soda when I'm at the movie theater or <laughs> McDonald's or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cans, cans and fountains are still better than plastic bottles, but nothing's better than just not drinking Coca-Cola, which is one of the evilest corporations on the <laughs> just planet. Just as like a general, yeah. <laughs> it's like, damn it, Kyla, be better. <laughs> the worst thing I can do is drink Coca-Cola when I walk into a McDonald's. Like, <laughs> the most shameful thing that I can do. <laughs> Sometimes you just want, like, you just want your, your sugar, though. I don't know. We just released an episode on sugar. <laughs> it's an elemental taste. We talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think another element that it's really important to think about when you're thinking about the waste-free movement is, um, so the waste-free movement will often think about value and resources that went into producing something more than the cost of something, right? So if you think about, like, a plastic bag is pretty cheap, might cost you 10 cents at a store, might be free way to carry your groceries, but it took a lot of land and water and other resources to be produced. And we have no plan for how to deal with its end of life, which is going to be hundreds of years long. And you're probably using it, if you're the average person, for 15 minutes. So 15 minutes of using a plastic bag, that's how long you see it for. But it exists in our environment for 500 years, right? That we know of. Obviously, plastic hasn't been around long enough for us to actually see it degrade. So who knows? That's true. Yeah. Some estimates say it may be as long as a thousand years, right? It's, yeah, it's a real problem. Yeah. So <laughs> we could just all do what that episode of Futurama suggested and get all of our trash together and shoot it into the sun. <laughs> Well, but then we're depleting the Earth's resources, right? Like, Oh, yeah. We can reuse a lot of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so plastic in the oceans is a really... It's something that people often point to when they're looking at the consequences of this stuff. So it's important to note that like, the plastic in the oceans, even though it's massive and the stats I'm going to say are staggering, that's still just a small proportion of what's happening to the plastic that we use every year. That most of the plastic... Or a lot of the plastic ends up just in landfill, but when it sort of leaks or in some way ends up in our water systems, it ends up in the oceans. And this is what happens. So there are about 12.7 million tons of plastic that enter the oceans every year. Uh, that amounts to about one garbage truck full of plastic every minute. So that's a lot. There are an estimated 150 million tons of plastic in the oceans right now, which if you, you said you like equivalents, so this is about, oh boy, <laughs> this is equal to about 300 of the tallest tower in the world, the Burj Khalifa. Uh, so 300 of those just floating in the ocean somewhere. And that's bad because it really fucks with ocean ecosystems. There's an estimate that about 90% of seabirds have plastic in their stomachs. So almost all. And plastic ingestion and entanglement are, they're really bad for, for wildlife in oceans. 
So I, I don't know whether you would have seen this photo. This is the sad fact that I was going to tell you, but there was a photo by a photographer named Chris Jordan of a dead albatross chick uh, in the North Pacific. And it was dead and decaying. And you could see in the photo that the chick had a stomach full of plastic. And basically what had happened to it is mama bird had mistaken plastic for food and the chick had starved to death because the stomach was so full of plastic. Yeah. Um, and that's unfortunately not unusual. That happens a lot. Yeah, okay. That's the, that is a, that's a winner for a sad one. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Uh, and it's just, it illustrates the the scale of the impact of the problem, right? You hear these like really large stats about how much plastic is in the ocean. But behind that, there are, there's also wildlife at every level of the food chain that is ingesting plastic. And they found plastic in like the stomachs of whales, just ridiculously hard from human, uh, from human settlements. So Plastic is everywhere. It's in our water. It's in our air. We talked about microfibers in the laundry episode, and that's some of it, because when plastic breaks down, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, so eventually becomes microplastics. But uh, yeah, it's also large chunks of plastic that are either trapping animals or that they're eating and causes them to starve to death. So that's that's all the context behind the zero waste movement. So the zero waste movement, because it's reacting to this rise of a disposable society, it's not a very old movement. It's uh, about something around 25 years old. I wasn't able to find a lot written on the movement because it is pretty new. But there are a number of top advocates for zero waste. And they're mostly, to be really honest, they are mostly white millennial women that seem to have like a reasonably high socioeconomic status. So. <laughs> it's easier. It's easier to be an activist <laughs> when you've got money and time. <laughs> I also think it's something to do with like, uh, because waste free requires a reset of your entire lifestyle. I think it tends to be it tends to be women just because traditionally women have been like in charge of orienting the household, right? And we still, even though society's made a lot of progress, women still take on most of the household chores and duties. And so, yeah, it is going to be women more of the time, and we should combat that by having men get more into the, the zero waste movement or be more into sort of sustainability and reducing waste generally. But for now, it's, it's white women. <laughs> that's, that's who it is. Every single one of the ones I found were they were white women. So. <laughs> and, and Will McCallum, the Greenpeace guy. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'll just, I'll name some of the top ones because if you're looking at going zero waste, these are really good resources for you because they have really practical tips. So Catherine Kellogg, I mentioned her book. Her, um, you can find her at Going Zero Waste. And she has a lot of really good tips on like do-it-yourself cleaning products and things like that. Lauren Singer is my personal favorite zero waste person. She runs a blog called Trashes for Tossers, which I think is a really great name. And she also operates the Package Free Shop, which I've mentioned in a couple of episodes. It's a, a waste-free store that does online orders. Uh, it's I find it really helpful when I can't find waste-free products elsewhere. Uh, then there's Anne-Marie Bonneau, uh, a zero-waste chef. She's got a lot of good food recipes and things. And then one of the other sort of most famous advocates in the UK is B Johnson, and she runs Zero Waste Home. So if you're looking for zero waste tips, those are all really good resources. 
Awesome. Well, well, we'll link to them too, so it's easier to find. And it gives you guys an excuse to go to our website and check out Kristen's. Ama- I don't know if we've plugged this too many times on the on the <laughs> podcast, but Kristen puts like so much effort into the notes for this show that like she honestly it could be just a blog the amount of effort she puts in so everyone run over to the website read what she's written on waste free here and then follow our links to these activists <laughs> yeah like if you ever hear a fact or a tip or something in the episode it's uh it's also in our research notes so if you're trying to remember where we found the source you want to learn more about it Go to our website and you can find that information. Pullback.org. And my research (laughs) notes are always right at the very bottom underneath Kristen's. And it's usually three links (laughs) that have nothing to do with the topic. It's just like, here's the Log Drivers Waltz YouTube channel or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) That's important content. (laughs) If if you don't know what we're referring to, go have a listen to our Christmas episode. (laughs) Yeah, so let's talk about the principles of Waste Free. So I already mentioned that at its most basic, zero waste just means producing zero trash, but that's impossible and everyone acknowledges that. <laughs> so, <laughs> because it's impossible to actually be zero waste due to sort of these systemic problems that we have as our society, basically every zero waste advocate will also tell you that part of being zero waste is about making your voice heard. So you can do that politically through things like voting, protesting, signing petitions, and talking to your member of parliament or your congressman or whatever your representative is. Actually, a lot of times it's municipal too, so your local councillors talk to them a lot. Or you can do other sort of smaller actions like if the makeup that you love is only in single-use plastic containers, you can write your makeup company and tell them that you don't like that. Or you can decide to stop purchasing from them for that reason. Or, you know, write a company saying you'd like them to have less packaging in their grocery stores, right? So you can make your voice heard in a bunch of different ways, but it's important to emphasize that that's part of zero waste too, because we can never truly get to zero waste until we change a lot of things about our society. Another thing is that although recycling is a part of the waste-free movement, going zero waste actually means recycling less because our recycling system is broken. I'm not going to go too much into recycling for this episode because we're going to do a full episode just on how to recycle properly, but that's important to note as well. If you're just aspirationally throwing stuff that you hope is recyclable into the recycling bin, that's counterproductive because you might contaminate your recycling bin. And then the whole thing just gets thrown away. Yeah, and then it, yeah, it all goes in the landfill. So that's not good. So zero waste advocates... Um, promote four things, basically. So the first one is reduce. The second one is reuse. The third one and fourth one, I've seen them in different orders, but recycling and composting are the last two. And that's an order of preference, right? So zero waste means reducing what you buy first and foremost, reusing, then recycling and composting what you can't, you know, reduce or reuse. So for reducing, it means you can start by just refusing to buy things that have lots of packaging. That can sometimes be hard, though, as Kyla had mentioned, right? Sometimes if you need, if you really need a tomato or a cucumber or something, and the only ones they have are wrapped in plastic, that might mean that time that's what you have to do. But maybe next time you can find a different grocery store, or maybe you can contact that grocery store and tell them you want package free. 
Well, and part of my problem with the challenge the last two weeks is that I was building a new computer, which means that I was going to the store and buying computer parts. And even though I haven't thrown away any of the packaging or boxes or anything yet, because I keep them for a long time after I build a new computer, eventually those are like, it's it's going to be waste. Like I'm not going to keep a motherboard box for, uh, you know, my whole life. So Though presumably most of that is cardboard and can be recycled. So, and reused first. Yeah, I mean, some of the pieces came like a little bit wrapped in plastic, but honestly, yeah, building the computer, like that, that was really, that was a frustrating part of this challenge. It's like, oh, I'm building this and I don't want to buy anything that comes wrapped in <laughs> anything. And that's just the nature of electronics. You have to get them in. Well, and also like, we're going to do a whole episode on electronics. It's going to make me feel bad about my new computer, <laughs> but I don't, my laptop just can't process how much editing we're doing. Our episodes are so long. <laughs> this is all beside the point. The point is sometimes... You're buying stuff that's just going to come in packaging. Yeah, so the first one, refuse to buy things without a lot of packaging. The other thing under reduce is zero waste advocates are really pushing you to think about whether you really need something and to try not to buy things that you don't really need, right? Um, And then a lot of the times what zero waste advocates will do is they'll try to buy things that have a dual purpose. So if there's something that you're thinking about getting that you're not going to use very often, can you think of a way to get a product that fulfills that function, but also fulfills another function? So you're making best use out of the resources. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be super austere. It's just about finding balance. And actually, there's a 2015 survey that found that more than half of Americans are overwhelmed by the amount of clutter they have. And what I thought was really shocking is that three quarters actually said they didn't know what to do with all the clutter they had or found it too complicated to deal with. So they just left it. And that's kind of like what zero waste advocates will point to as a way that being zero waste actually can make you more happy. If you're focusing on only buying things when you really want it, like in your case, Kyla, you've been really excited about building this computer for a really long time. So I'm like, Definitely think that's something you've thought through, right? You've thought through every component, how it's going to work. That's the kind of thing that a waste-free advocate would say. Yeah, you wanted that. You're going to use it a lot. You really put thought into it. You waited. That's a great purchase. But it's like the impulse buys or the things that we, the things that we purchase without really thinking about it. That's what they have sort of an issue with. Or aspirationally buying. I have like a muffin tin. I've literally never in my life made muffins. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to make muffins. I'm going to make muffins so often. Um, I'm going to make muffins one day. <laughs> I'll give you, I've got a really good vegan muffin recipe. Ooh, okay. yes, please. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Should have but stuff like that. January, then you definitely would have used it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But yeah, no, but aspirationally, like you see something, you're like, yeah, I'm the kind of person who's going to make muffins. And so you buy a muffin tin and then like it just sits in your cupboard and takes up space. And that's how clutter kind of generates a lot of the time. Yeah. And if you spend like um, one of the books I was reading advocates that waiting basically 30 days before you purchase something, if you think you want it. And so that really gives you time to be like, am I a muffin person? (laughs) (laughs) Or what I should be doing instead of aspirationally buying a muffin tin is I should buy a muffin tin when I'm going to be making muffins, right? Like I have all of the ingredients. I'm ready to make muffins. This is the afternoon I'm going to spend on it. I'll go to the store and buy a muffin tin. Or, and I mean, this is under the second principle of reuse. Oftentimes you might have friends or family that have Maybe they've aspirationally bought a muffin tin that they don't use. <laughs> or, <laughs> or maybe they have two muffin tins, you know? 
Um, and so you could either borrow it or oftentimes there are people are willing to just give away stuff they don't have because we're all overwhelmed by the clutter that we have, right? So, um, so that really leads us into our second principle of reuse. So zero waste advocates will say, try to go for reusable items instead of single use items. So it could be reusable cutlery or reusable coffee cups or water bottle. And then also try to find durable items instead of short term. Then keep using the stuff as long as you can and uh, try to repair it. So when you're buying, look for things that can be repaired, right? So, I mean, I think my iPhone is a really good example of how I'm not doing very well with that, right? It's, I mean, you can technically go into Apple and get stuff repaired, but I couldn't just go and get a new part for it easily, you know, and uh, planned obsolescence. <laughs> and then when something can't be used for its original purpose, try to repurpose it. So waste free advocates will often talk about how they've demoted items, which I think is a good term. Uh, so I'll give you an example of where I demoted something recently. The last plastic toothbrush that I owned before I switched to bamboo, I demoted to be a cleaning brush. So I use it to clean bathroom tiles now. It's like, I think that's like one of the most common demotions. It's very easy, but it's one way that you can extend the, the amount that you've used that resource, you know? If you think about that plastic toothbrush as being all the water, all the energy that went into uh, creating it, and all the years it's going to just like float around there in the ocean, first use it for as long as you can now that you've got it. Basically, both reduce and reuse amount to being like your grandparents, in most cases. <laughs> uh, just try to be more frugal. Then if you can't reuse something, try to see if you can recycle it. So make sure that it actually can be recycled and do it well, because... If more than 1% of a batch of recycling is contaminated, the entire thing might end up in landfill. So that's not a lot of contamination before it becomes a problem. And zero waste basically asks you to really look into what you're recycling and how. Lastly, composting. About 75 to 80% of all household trash is organic matter that can be composted, um, but most of us aren't composting it. So that's another option if you can't recycle or reuse an item put it in the compost if you can. A lot of cities and towns now have composting that they'll take away for you, um, and it can be really easy to do this. So if you're in one of those cities or towns, I would really recommend going for that. I keep a compost bin in my kitchen for food waste, and I keep one in my bathroom for like uh, tissues, and it's very easy. Generally speaking, though, um, compostable plastics are not a solution to plastic waste. I do not recommend... If there's a a chain that's offering that, I would really not recommend going for it, to be frank, because very little of the biodegradable plastics actually get composted. So they just end up in a landfill like everything else where they don't break down. And in a lot of cases, you can't compost those items in home composting. So even if you are composting it, it's not going to break down. And uh, there are, in some cases, not even an industrial composting can you compost biodegradable plastic. So it's really, it's not a solution to the problem. Uh, it's a nice idea, but what we really need to be doing is just reducing single use. So now that we've got the main principles of being zero waste, how to become zero waste-ish. We know we won't get all the way there, but how do you do as well as you can? So ultimately going zero waste will mean replacing some of the tools that you use to meet your daily needs. 
but it's it's really counterproductive to trash stuff that you're currently using in favor of eco-friendly products. So waste-free advocates really suggest a slow approach with small improvements. And I think that's maybe, Kyla, why you and I didn't see that much improvement over our daily lives in this two-week challenge. Really, all we could do was abstain from stuff, right? It wasn't like we were produ- we were switching out our habits in a way that might reduce waste in the long term. I wasn't going to attach a bidet attachment for this challenge. That just doesn't make sense over the short term. <laughs> yeah, you're moving because you're moving in like two weeks. Yeah. So it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not like I was going to go throw out my soap dispenser for a, a new one, right? Because that's just, that's against the principle of me using it for as long as I can, you know? Although, you know what? I could have done better if I just went out of my way to go to the waste free store more often, but. I just like I just feel so time poor. I need to what I need to do is start meal prepping. Honestly, it would be so much better for uh, being more uh, vegan for longer, and it would be better for my health, and it's way better for my wallet. So uh, that's that's one of the things I really need to start doing to improve my waste free is to just meal prep. It's a bit of time up front, but then it just makes things a lot easier for the rest rest of the week. Do recommend? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, noting that it's sort of like a slow and incremental approach. Here are some steps that you can take to go to move towards waste-free. The first thing that you might want to do is start with a waste audit. So as weird as this might sound, actually go through your trash um, and write down what are all the items in my trash and like which ones recur a lot. Um, and that can help you to sort of define what those impactful swaps might be, right? So for me, I, I did that. I not going to tell you all the things that were on the list because that would be really boring, but I found that <laughs> snack foods like chips and granola bars... That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, if I went through my trash, it would for sure be snack food. <laughs> yes, yeah, snack food. It's it's so hard. It, it's hard to make good waste-free snacks, I find. I'm, I'm like working on it, but sometimes you just want a bag of chips. Anyway, <laughs> the next step is saying no to stuff that you don't want. So... <laughs> oh yeah, there is a, a zero waster called Sarah her name's Sarah Lewis, and she she describes this as just say no to crap. <laughs> Which I really like. That that includes things like straws, paper cups, and being clear about those requests in advance is a good way to avoid problems, although you won't be successful all the time. You can also put like a no junk mail sign on your mailbox, although that won't work all the time either. Yeah, when you're at a restaurant or cafe, try to be clear and polite about your requests. Usually people will be happy to accommodate, even if the requests are slightly weird. But if they aren't, you can choose not to return there in the future. The other thing that oftentimes uh, Zero Wasters will talk about in the Say No to Stuff column is uh, gifts. And this can be super tricky because there are social customs around gifts and a lot of emotional issues. So zero waste advocates generally recommend for gifts that, first of all, you talk to your family and friends about why waste-free is important to you. They, they generally say that's just a good idea so that people understand. Do it non-judgmentally and really focus on the selfish reasons, the things that make you feel good so they don't feel judged. And then in addition to that, for gifts specifically, try to give people tools to make it really easy for them to give gifts so that it won't cause problems for you. So Catherine Kellogg recommends giving friends and family a list of three different kinds of gifts. So one is consumables, so things that you're going you're gonna to eat or otherwise consume. 
experiences, uh, because those don't involve physical things, and then also items that you'd really value. Uh, she says that it's really important to do it in advance, which makes sense. And then she also recommends adding notes about why you want something. So it can be helpful just for people to get a sense of what you actually want. And so if they want to go off list, they can. So ultimately, with gifts, it's important to remember that waste free or waste reduction is a thing that you're doing. It's not a thing that they're doing. So if someone gives you a gift, just accept it and thank them. The time to raise that issue is way, way later. Um, you can maybe have a chat with them about it for next year. Okay, so after you've said no to crap and done a waste audit, the next step is to try buying things more intentionally and only when you really need them. So when you do buy something, try to find ways to buy it used or to buy it new but built to last, so repairable and sturdy. And also just wait, waiting a little bit of time to see if you really need it can often bring clarity to those decisions. The waste-free advocates also recommend starting with some easy waste-free moves. So some of the sort of low-hanging fruit for zero waste are saying no to straws, getting and actually using reusable bags, uh, so setting up a system so that they're with you when you need them, and then getting and actually using a reusable water bottle or coffee mug. If you're not actually going to set up processes to use these things, they are also a waste of resources. So it's important to think about like, when do I go grocery shopping? Can I leave my reusable bags in my car? Or I mean, in my case, I take transit everywhere. So I try to keep, I have like a fold up bag that I always bring with me and then I just try to think if I'm going to go to the grocery store at the end of the day or something, I'll bring my produce bags with me in my backpack in the morning. It helps. The more you can sort of take the thinking out of these systems, the more they can just be habits, the more successful you'll be. So in addition to those like easy, those easy wins, when you're ready, you should start slowly replacing disposables and short-term items with stuff that's refillable and or built to last can be good to start with the problem areas that you've identified in your waste audit. If you think, oh, this is something that I'm using all the time, that might be any, um, a good thing to sort of replace. Uh, for consumables, try to buy in bulk and avoid plastic packaging as much as possible, but that might not always be possible and that's okay. If you can, glass and metal containers tend to be easier to recycle. So if you've got those two options, go for glass or metal. And uh, another tip is to think about the end of life for your goods. So most people are already recycling, but the key is to recycle well. Some tools to help you do this, go to your municipal website. They often have tools that will help you recycle properly, which is, it looks a little bit different according, depending on what city or town you live in, but generally washing items is a good way to go, making sure that paper doesn't get too wet or greasy. Uh, if there are things that your municipal recycling won't accept, which there certainly will be, uh, you can bring short-term items sometimes back to companies that made them for recycling. It's usually downcycling, so it's not ideal, but it's at least something. So in the clothing episode, we talked about clothes recycling programs, and I'm sure we'll do one on e-waste at some point. Uh, you can also check out, like, there are often other recycling programs in your community that you can find. Um, another recycling program that I found is called TerraCycle. It's a kind of a cool organization. Basically, they 
They partner with companies and they collect difficult to recycle items in 21 different countries. So you have to look at what their specific programs are, but if there's something that you purchase a lot that they have a program for, it might be really helpful for you. So they've got programs for some Burt's Bees products, Europe's best frozen fruit and vegetable, for e-waste, for Nespresso capsules, and special one for Kyla, if you buy Tweed Cannabis, they have a recycling program for that. <laughs> I don't know if that's your brand, but <laughs> I mean, I really think like a specialized recycling program for a cannabis product might be the most millennial Canadian thing. <laughs> I am a stereotype. <laughs> uh, the, else, the other thing, I've, I've kind of already preached this a little bit, even though we've said we're a non-preachy podcast, but you can try composting. <laughs> Uh, if you're not composting your food that goes into landfill, it's really bad, produces a lot of methane, much better to, to compost it. And this can make a big difference because about 40% of landfill material is organics. So if everybody was composting, that would make a huge difference. Uh, Project Drawdown, who we've mentioned before, they estimate different climate solutions and their impact. They've estimated that composting can reduce emissions by 2.3 billion tons over the next 30 years if everyone started doing it more. So if you live in an apartment building, that can be tough. Although if your city has composting, it doesn't have to be. Uh, I live in an apartment building and we have a, a tri sorter and it's very simple. You just sort of collect compost as you would with garbage, just in a separate bin and then put it down the chute. Very, very easy. But I acknowledge that if your city doesn't compost, that can be a lot harder. And so there are ways to compost in an apartment without it being too disruptive, especially if you have a balcony. Google will tell you all the ways that, that you can do that. Um, otherwise, what some people do is they freeze their organic waste and they put it in like a bin in the freezer. And then when that's full, they go to a community compost site. So that's another option if you live in an apartment. The internet is your friend on this one. And maybe we'll do a episode. <laughs> and then the last one is when you donate, be smart about it, right? So. Start with friends and family, and then you can use the tips that we suggested in part three of our clothing series for more information on how donating works. It's kind of clothing specific, but a lot of the principles are the same. And the last one is just get involved with the movement, right? Zero waste advocates always say that it has to be partially political because it is this whole structure around the disposable society that has made it so hard for us to be waste-free in the first place. Yeah. If your city doesn't compost, ask them to. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like, oftentimes cities will put out consultations on things like, do you want a ban on single use plastics? Or do you want there to be a charge for single use plastics and things like that? And they want you to participate in it. So if you find that, like fill out those surveys, it, it matters. I want to talk a little bit about waste-free stores because people may not have heard of these and they're really cool. So Waste-free stores are basically stores where all of the products come in either no packaging or in recyclable or compostable packaging. Uh, usually they'll have like a system where you weigh your container, then you fill it and you're charged by the weight. Um, and although zero waste stores look a lot like bulk stores and for a lot of the products, they're pretty much the same. Specifically, zero waste stores are sort of a, a new trend that has popped up in sort of like hipster neighborhoods in the last five years or so. It's hard to find estimates on how many of these there are, but there's an article in The Guardian that estimated between 100 and 200 zero waste stores 
that had opened just in the last two years in the UK. So it's new and there are lots of them popping up. So if you want to try to find one, if you're in a medium to large city, there's probably a waste-free shop somewhere. Toronto has several of them and there can also be some online. So package-free shop is a good example. I go to it whenever I can't find something in a local waste-free shop. So what if there isn't a waste-free shop in your area? Or even what if there is, but you, you want something cheaper? Bulk Barn and other bulk stores are really great for food items. It's like, I just can't even, I can't even tell you how cheap it is at Bulk Barn. I love it so much. <laughs> I would like to say, though, that like grocery stores are really picking up on that, too. Like uh, most of the time, when especially in Canada, when I go into a grocery store, there's usually like a, a bulk section, which, you know, good job, guys. Yeah. I think it's because Canadians just really like a deal. I think that's why. <laughs> I don't think it's. I don't think it's moral or aspirational. I think Canadians just really love a good deal. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, if you're not sure where to find a waste for your bulk store in your neighborhood, there's a tool from Zero Waste Home that we will link to in the research notes, and that's really helpful. A last sort of tip is. If there's something that you're producing in packaging, especially for personal care or like cleaning, you can probably replace it with a do-it-yourself alternative. So there are lots of recipes out there. Waste-free advocates love to provide recipes for you on these kinds of things. I have found that cleaning supplies tend to be really easy and accessible to make. A lot of the time it's literally like, hey, take some vinegar and add some water. <laughs> and that's basically the whole recipe. Squeeze a lemon into it so it smells better and off yeah. you go. <laughs> so yeah, those are all the uh, waste-free research tips that I have. But we each came up with a a list of the five things that we found were the easiest swaps or the most impactful swaps. So do you want to tell tell us yours? Being better about carrying my reusable bottle with me to places because one of the ways that I failed this week was that like, uh, I'm, I, I work near a Starbucks, so I went to Starbucks one day and I didn't have my bottle with me and I was like, fuck it. <laughs> I, just got a, I got my chai latte with my oat milk or whatever they had. And so, yeah, just being better about carrying my bottle with me. Uh, I organized my bags uh, and put them like in my tote and I hung them on the back of my door so that when I am going to the grocery store, I, they're just more accessible and I can see them better. But I, I always have, I always have a pack away bag in my purse anyway. So it's, that's a non-issue. I don't, I still don't get bags, but the stuff that I put in the tote was stuff like little bags that I could put bread in. You know what I mean? Cause I buy a lot of bread that comes in plastic. I found it. So bread is the one I always forget. Like, cause with produce, if you forget the bag, it's like, Oh, whatever. I'll just, my kale doesn't go in a bag then. That's fine. I have to yeah. wash it anyway. But, but with bread, you, you kind of don't want it to be by itself. <laughs> well, and I'm really, um, bread is like maybe my favorite food. I'm a, I'm a duck, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> I'm a duck. <laughs> I'm really picky about my bread. I only buy the bread that comes with like the most protein and the most fiber. My bread is super fiber rich. Uh, but the stuff that comes with the most fiber and protein comes in the plastic bag. So in addition to bringing a bag to put like loose loaves of bread in, if I'm going to be doing that, uh, one of the other things on my list, I think point number four is just bake more. I'm going to bake more so that if I'm making my own bread, it's a non-issue. And at the rate that I consume bread, I should just be making it myself. <laughs> yeah, that could be an easy one for you. <laughs> it's too bad you don't like muffins that much. You've already <laughs> I'll make more muffins. That's an easy <laughs> breakfast snack. 
uh, I'm as soon as I have more time, <laughs> see how that happens. Um, and then the last point was, uh, I think this is more general because you and I, I can't believe it's been like an hour and a half that we've been recording. We haven't even <laughs> mentioned periods, but period waste is a huge one. Um, and you and I don't really think about it because I think we both switched to Diva Cups like ages ago. But I think the one of the things I could do is I could get like a panty liner as well. What about you? What were your five points? Yeah, so I I kind of thought of it a little differently and I I made it my five easy victories based on reflection of the entire movement towards waste-free I've taken. So it wasn't just the last two weeks. Uh, so the first one for me, I put reusable cup and cutlery. Those I find like in almost any scenario where you're getting food somewhere that can help. Even if you're in a restaurant, sometimes they have like disposable chopsticks and it's like, I don't know. I, I like being able to just whip out my, <laughs> my uh, reusable uh, chopsticks. So that was my first tip. Um, my second one was uh, switching to reusable kitchen stuff. So the silicone stasher bags. Oh my God, they're so great. They're so much better than Ziploc bags. I, I can't even they tell are. you. You can freeze I them. I haven't used a Ziploc bag in years. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, they're you so good. You can theoretically like sous vide with them, I think. I, I have not tried that, but you can put them in hot temperatures as well. They go <laughs> in the dishwasher, which is incredible. <laughs> I hate washing dishes. And then beeswax wrap is also super useful. Uh, so yeah, those, those are easy kitchen wins. Just replace your storage stuff with reusable stuff. Third easy win is uh, reusable bags for the grocery store or just getting more comfortable with not having bags for stuff. If you're using produce that like you're going to wash anyway, which is all produce, you do not need a bag for it. <laughs> and then uh, tip four, I switched to bar instead of liquid for a lot of my personal care items. So Bar soap, bar shampoo, bar conditioner, and uh, the hair hairstyler that I use is also in a bar form. And it's always free. And honestly, I think it's actually cheaper too, because these bars have lasted me ages and they're still kicking and they weren't that expensive to begin with. And they do a good job if you buy nice ones. Yeah. Um, and then the last one that I had here was uh, I switched to a good, a good razor with uh, reusable razor blades. It's pretty awesome. So those were my five. I'd recommend doing all those things. Uh, and then you also wanted us to prepare things that we'll never be ready for. So what's yours? My probably nevers. Handkerchiefs. I know I should, but they just gross me out. Handkerchiefs are so <laughs> gross. I got in an argument. I used to date a guy and he always used a handkerchief. And we... I was just always disgusted by it. That's not why we broke up, <laughs> but, <laughs> but we didn't see eye to eye on it. <laughs> yeah. And like, if, if a handkerchief is something you can imagine yourself doing, that go is a really it. good solution and you should go for yeah, it. Don't listen to Kristen and I. <laughs> I. I'm not there. Maybe in a decade I will be, but right now it grosses me out. <laughs> I put e-reader on here because <laughs> I buy so many books and I know it's bad but I just really love books. I love the <laughs> feel of them. I like to write in them. That's a solution that I should do, but I probably won't. And then uh, <laughs> do it yourself. Toothpaste and makeup I put on my probably never list. 
<laughs> well, we know that do-it-yourself toothpaste is a terrible idea if from our, what, second episode ever where I made my own toothpaste and it was an yeah, unmitigated I disaster. I was convinced out of doing that by your experience. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> and then, yeah, makeup seems similarly complicated, so I'm not keen on that, but maybe someday. How about you? Worry, you're probably nevers. My things I'm never ready for. It's a very short list. Reusable toilet paper. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Also never. Yeah. Mm. All right. So our nevers are basically just handkerchiefs and reusable toilet paper, which <laughs> I stand by both those things. <laughs> <laughs> we'll reevaluate in a while. guys so we recorded our zero waste episode before COVID-19 had started and it's a little bit strange to be trying to do zero waste during a pandemic and we can recognize that like that might not be your top priority when you're trying to protect your families your community and you know maybe you're a frontline worker that needs to be out there and you really like some of the um, disposable measures that help you to feel safer during uh, this time. So what we wanted to do was to talk a little bit about being zero waste in a pandemic and how sort of those values might intersect. And then to also think about some ways that you could do zero waste from home. So what, what Kyla and I have done is we've each taken a recipe from Catherine Kellogg's book, 101 ways to go zero waste. And we're going to talk to you about how those went. And uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about zero waste and COVID. Yeah. So, but just a, a week in right now, I think we're still kind of coming to terms with what life is going to look like for the next potentially few months, maybe forever. I don't know. I was reading some articles that was like, <laughs> this is going to be a recurring thing from now on. And I'm like, okay, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Do not want... <laughs> but maybe maybe I'll just ask you um have you noticed like is there any way in which being in a pandemic has made you produce more garbage or are you producing less garbage or how's that going mm, I'm probably producing about the same amount of garbage like it's only been a week since I had to stop going to work and my life hasn't changed so much except that like I mean, honestly, if I was laid off of my job under normal circumstances, I'd probably spend a week inside anyway. So like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for our for our challenges, I, I I'm just going to get right into it and talk about mine. Actually, last night I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be recording an episode with Kristen. I wonder when that is. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's Tuesday. Whoops. And then I was like, oh, shit, I was supposed to do a recipe. <laughs> and so like at 11 o'clock last night, I was like, right. Where am I going to find beeswax near midnight during a pandemic? And the answer was, <laughs> I wasn't. So I made something else. I made uh, one of the recipes for like a roll-on deodorant, but I don't actually have like a roll-on thing. So this morning I was like, oh, I'll just dab some on under my arms with like a cloth. And then I was like, well, the recipe was literally just chamomile tea, which I didn't have. So I used another herbal tea that I liked because I was like, oh, I don't see, it doesn't look like the chamomile does anything except add a smell. Uh, but then the other half of the recipe is just apple cider vinegar. So 
I smell yeah. like vinegar now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, I don't want my cloth to smell like vinegar. So I dabbed it on. I was like halfway through dabbing it on with like a paper towel before I realized that the whole point of this was to be waste free. No. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, but I was planning on like, so I've had like, I don't know, too much information. Like even after showering lately, maybe it's stress. I still kind of smell like BO. And so I Googled like, <laughs> how do I fix this? Am I dying? And the answer was Am honestly, apple cider vinegar came up a bunch. So I was like, oh, okay. So it's going to do that anyways. So doing this recipe, I mean, I already had some in my house and I was going to try it eventually. So, but I don't know. Let me just smell myself and see how it's going so far. <laughs> I mean, I just smell like vinegar. I don't know if that's better. <laughs> it's just a different odor. <laughs> I mean, I personally like the smell of vinegar. As a child, I used to drink white vinegar. I was what? A French child. What? I know. That can't be good for I know. you, right? No, it can't. It can't possibly be good for me. <laughs> uh, what about you? How, how was your recipe? Like, I, I wanted to make something interesting, and I ended up just putting vinegar under my armpits. <laughs> Okay, so this is a my version of a beeswax wrap. My conclusion is that I'm going to continue buying them. Although <laughs> the thing I made is technically functional. Uh, yeah, so I actually did have beeswax. I had purchased some from the waste-free grocery store in Toronto and had just not really had time to make a beeswax wrap for ages and was just saving it. So I was like, oh, this is the perfect time to try it out. I've got to do a recipe anyway. Uh, and yeah, it basically, the recipe seems super simple. You basically just take a cotton fabric that is the same weight as a bed sheet. I used, um, <laughs> sorry, mom. My mom got me a bunch of like napkins, fabric napkins as like a housewarming gift. And I cut up one of them. This size. <laughs> I was aiming to make four, but I didn't have enough beeswax. I barely had enough beeswax for one, but once you do that, basically you like melt the beeswax in a double boiler or like. I don't know, I just put like a, one of those like mixing things on top of a pot and it seemed to work fine. Um, and then what you're supposed to do is like, they say take a brush and evenly spread it around the cloth. But like for me, that did not fucking work at all <laughs> because as soon as you're taking it away from the heat, the beeswax like solidifies. So I, I tried doing like a little bit at a time and I was just getting these super like wonky brush strokes. And then I was like, maybe I'll pour some on and then spread it, but it all dried before. So I just had like this mottled like <laughs> uh, clump of beeswax and like half of it wasn't covered. So eventually what I decided to do, which is not at all what the recipe calls for, is like I just turned down the double boiler to simmer and waited for it to cool down enough that like it would hurt a little, but not burn my hands when I went in there. Um, and then I basically just like remelted it with the cloth inside and then just like pushed around the cloth until it covered the whole thing. And that seemed to work pretty well. So I guess that's my method, but I don't know. It, it works, but not as well as the ones that I've purchased. And also I get like this, um, I guess oily, oily residue, um, that I don't get with those ones. So I'm not sure why. So our conclusion is, uh, being under self-isolation is not improving our waste-free game. I don't know. <laughs> no. I don't know. I feel like on balance, though, it is in some cases easier to be waste-free when you're at home all the time because you don't have the temptation to get takeout tins. I haven't been buying online at all. So like I've been cooking every meal and that produces 
pretty much no waste. So yeah, and like you said before, anything like if if we're increasing our single use items for healthcare workers, like I, <laughs> I'm on board with that. I waste free is a complicated topic when we're not having a pandemic. Yeah, and I still haven't bought a bidet attachment, so there's that. <laughs> I look. I don't know which episode we were talking about in, but, uh, or was it COVID episode? I don't know. But like, I'm not buying a bidet. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't. It was this one. It. it was the waste-free episode. That's where all the... Was it? Yeah. When you go to edit it, <laughs> well, you'll My position see. hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always forget. Ex- I'm like, I forget everything we said in this episode until I have to edit it 12 million times. And I'm like, ah, oh, yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> and then it's like burned into your memory forever. <laughs> Well, this is coming to you from the past. This is March 24th. I hope everybody's still doing all right when we release this. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to reach out to us, we are on Twitter at Pullback Podcast. And we'll be active on there for a while because we've got nothing else to do. Woo! I've just been like doing sad push-ups.